Nashville is a really interesting place as a religion reporter because it's home to two major Protestant denominations, the Southern Baptist Convention and the United Methodist Church. A lot of the UMC general agencies are based here and the SBC headquarters are here. And then there's also really interesting stories to cover at the intersection of faith and state politics. And there's also a really sort of vibrant faith community here, growing Muslim community. We have the largest Kurdish immigrant population in the country. So I get to cover large Christian denominations at the national scale. And then I get to cover a bunch of different faith communities at the local level. I'm Liam Adams, the religion reporter at the Tennessean in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Umbreen Khan, and you're listening to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. Liam Adams and his colleagues reported how quickly Nashville's faith leaders rallied together to support the community after the mass shooting on March 27th at the Covenant School. An all-too-familiar scene in America, another deadly school shooting. This time, police say a 28-year-old opened fire at a private Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. Authorities just releasing video. Not long after a protest organized at the state capitol demanding stricter gun control in Tennessee began making national news because lawmakers condemned three of their fellow state legislators for joining the protests that ended up disrupting the session. Two of the three, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, young black representatives from Memphis and Nashville, were stripped of their seats. Mr. Clark, take the vote. Aye, 72, 25 days. Having received the concurrence of two-thirds of the members to which the House is entitled under Constitution of the State of Tennessee, I hereby declare Representative Justin Jones of the 57th Representative District expelled from the House of Representatives State of Tennessee. A few days later, both were returned after being appointed by their respective counties. The story disappeared from the national headlines, but in Tennessee, the call for new laws continues to grow. This week, Liam Adams reports how conservative Christian leaders are now engaging in the debate and how Tennessee's Republican Governor Bill Lee is listening. Outside of those national headlines, with the attention on those three lawmakers, what is happening in the faith community? Has there been a response or are folks just going back to business as usual? No, and in fact, it's the exact opposite. And this is the latest story I'm working on, which is about the response of the faith community to the shooting and specifically in calling for gun reform. And you've had faith leaders who have been at this work for a long time calling for gun reform in the state. They've been participating in that work. So for example, there was a, it caught some headlines as well, a Moral Monday movement rally here, Reverend William Barber and his team of uh, repairers of the breach. Representing themselves, but representing their constituents of over 240,000 people. They, like others around the country, took the lead and stood shoulder to shoulder following the moral order of justice and the decorum of truth and love. They came into town and they did this big rally to the state capitol. But then you have had leaders 
in pastors within more conservative Christian faith traditions also coming out and calling for gun reform. And so some really notable examples have been the SBC. According to data analysis by Ryan Burge, the SBC is the most conservative denomination on the issue of guns. And yet you have the head of the SBC's public policy arm, which is called the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. That organization's president, Brent Leatherwood, he has signed on to multiple letters expressing his support for certain gun reform proposals. I'm going to just jump in for a second. I just want to point out Brent Leatherwood, who is the head of that public policy arm, if I recall, has roots in Tennessee and served as the executive director once upon a time of the Tennessee Republican Party that crafted many of the party's platforms that led Tennessee to become, as it is right now, that the time we're talking, a state in which you can carry without a permit. That's correct. Yeah, I think that's a good point about Brent's connections to the the Tennessee GOP. And one thing I'll add is he's also a Covenant school parent. So he's personally had to deal with the trauma of that day. His kids ended up being safe, but they are, you know, dealing his family. He's talked about this publicly on Twitter. His family is dealing with the trauma of what happened that day. And so this has a real sort of personal impact on him. And we've also seen other SBC pastors who have signed another letter, as well as the executive director of the state Southern Baptist Convention signed a letter. So we've had some sort of activity from the Southern Baptist side of things. And then we've also had some activity from the denomination, the faith tradition. So Covenant School is affiliated with a church here in town. They have the same building. It's called Covenant Presbyterian Church. And that is part of the Presbyterian Church in America called PCA, which is the more conservative Presbyterian denomination. And you've had pastors within PCA churches here in town also be involved in efforts to support gun reform. Well, let me ask you, what is that? What are those letters calling for? I mean, when we talk about Tennessee, before our conversation, I decided to jump online to just refresh my memory mm-hmm. on what Tennessee gun laws look like. And I mean, forgive me for the expression, but my brother, who lives right outside Nashville, texted me yesterday and said, with a screenshot of yet another shooting outside Nashville, said, "Uh, I live in the wild, wild west. Yeah, so the main proposal that we're seeing these more conservative faith groups get behind, as well as more progressive, moderate to progressive faith groups, is this proposal from the governor, which is for an extreme risk protection order law, which is designed to keep firearms out of the hands of individuals who pose an immediate risk of harm to themselves or others. The past few weeks have been some of our most difficult as a state. There have been times in American history when Great tragedy caused those who are elected to serve to come together and respond with thoughtful action. Action to improve laws, preserve rights, and protect communities. We all agree that dangerous, unstable individuals who intend to harm themselves or others should not have access to weapons. There's broad agreement that this is the right approach. It should be that simple. 
but sadly it's not. Governor came forward, he made this proposal, even though Republican supermajority in legislature wasn't immediately behind it. And in fact, the legislature did not act on this proposal before the conclusion of a legislative session. So the governor has called for a special legislative session focused on gun reform, but no date has been set for that yet. So what you have is this proposal from the governor, and that has sort of activated and mobilized faith leaders from more conservative faith traditions. And there's been pushback to that. I mean, especially like, you know, I said the Southern Baptist Convention, which is one of the most conservative denominations on guns. You've had more conservative pastors within the denomination push back against Brent Leatherwood's statements supporting the governor's extreme risk protection order law. Do you think that Tennessee is going to be an interesting case study for how to build a potential coalition with conservative-leaning houses of worship and faith leaders that exercise influence in state politics and with making inroads in trying to address gun reform and create some sort of policy shifts in places like Tennessee where you can carry without a permit if you're 18 years old and it can be concealed, it can be open, and there are very few restrictions on gun purchases and gun ownership. At a time when violence or tragedy strikes in political circles, there's this perception that you have a limited window of time to act. Do you think the governor is going to react and respond to this growing coalition of voices that brings both sides of the aisle, so to speak, in a very Republican-controlled state? I think he has already. And so this latest story of mine has this example, I think, that illustrates this well, which is that this group of community members within so Covenant Presbyterian Church, right, where the shooting happened, it's kind of sister church is called Christ Presbyterian Church. It's another large PCA church in town. And you had members of the Christ Presbyterian Church and Covenant Presbyterian Church. They started this petition within the community that expressed support for the governor's proposal of the extreme risk protection order law. And then they met with the governor almost kind of secretly um, about this to just sort of reiterate their support to him. And their effort was to encourage and comfort him because this community knows the governor and his family well. He has a long history with these churches, especially Christ Presbyterian Church. And so the governor is aware that he has the support of members of conservative Christian communities, even if he doesn't have an the full support of the Republican supermajority within the legislature. There's another component to this, though, to your question of whether this turns into a larger coalition. Um, Because, and this is something that I point out in my latest story, is while this group of Christ and Covenant Presbyterian church members had met with the governor around the same time, there's this coalition of black clergy who have been very active around this issue of gun violence and gun reform for a long time. It's called the African-American Clergy Collective of Tennessee. And they asked to meet with the governor around the same time 
but they did not get that meeting with him. And so you have these differences in which communities are engaging with lawmakers around this issue, specifically the African-American Clergy Collective of Tennessee wanted to meet with the governor about a different bill that they have been helping draft that looks at gun violence and addresses gun violence as a public health crisis. So this bill would look to strengthen the collection of public health data and to help with increasing and mobilizing resources for trauma response and recovery. And you have still a disparity in which bills and which groups are sort of getting the ear of elected officials. That said, I've talked to a number of folks within both of these groups who are hopeful that some of these divides can be bridged. That, you know, for example, this bill that the Black clergy have put forward around addressing gun violence as a public health crisis, that this is something that pro-Second Amendment faith communities can also get behind. And, you know, some of these conservative Christian communities, this is new for them to be in this conversation around gun reform. But I think some of them see this as an opportunity to further step into that and partner with faith groups that have been at this work for a long time. You know, a few things stick out for me when you are describing who is getting access. It sounds like the clergy, depending on who they are and which denomination they represent, influences and impacts whether or not the governor is going to give them an audience. Does he feel he has an accountability to that group? The second thing that strikes me from what you're describing is that counter organizers are now challenging the governor openly. Uh, I read that Knox County officials put out a resolution saying that they are opposed to the governor's proposal for red flag laws. I'm also curious, you know, as you're describing the growing movement, what is the kind of effect that parental voices are having here, especially, you know, the moms and dads from Covenant. You describe Brent Leatherwood, his relationship to the school, how it's impacted his family and now his advocacy. For a lot of parents across the country, gun violence is a top priority. Have you noticed or seen a difference in the way parents and particularly moms are being heard? Yeah, the moms have been at the forefront of this. The sort of perfect example is this group, Voices for Safer Tennessee. This is an advocacy group that formed in the wake of the Covenant shooting. And it is a lot of sort of Covenant moms and and allies who are leading this effort. So they are ones that are sort of helping organize some of the rallies and some of the events. There was this event called uh, Linking Arms for Change, which they is like a three mile long human chain from Vanderbilt Children's Hospital all the way to the state capitol and everybody linked arms. So it's this giant line throughout the city. It was so cool. Um, and so that was an event organized by this group, Voices for Safer Tennessee, which is led by moms. You've had some of the covenant moms who have spoken at some of the rallies, like the Moral Monday rally. This mom, Sarah Newman, was standing right next to Reverend William Barber, and she gave this speech that was very uh, compelling, very emotional, you know, talking about talking with her kids about, you know, her kid asked her, has this kind of thing happened before? 
And she had to like tell her kid yes. And so she's explaining this to the audience, this audience of mainly clergy. And, you know, everybody's just like sort of tearing up. My best friend kept asking if anyone had seen her dear friend. Mm. No one had. She knew too. She knew what it meant if she wasn't in that reunification room by this time. The last three weeks have been deeply painful. Our days are spent hearing children as young as three years old describe in horrific detail what they saw and heard. Third graders saw the dead bodies of their friends, not just coffins. Their classmates. This has been a very important part of, I think, the movement and sort of the direction that the conversation has gone. That again still comes up against the Republican supermajority that, you know, has very close ties to the gun lobby and that the gun lobby groups are pressing really hard to not support the governor's proposal ahead of this special called legislative session. So there's still a question of like the degree to which this advocacy work is going to go. But I think you are seeing coalition building around this issue in the state that you haven't seen before. Liam Adams is a religion reporter at the Tennessean in Nashville, Tennessee. That's all for this week's show. If you missed any part, you can stream it online at interfaithradio.org. While you're there, you can also learn about us, read the show notes, sign up for our newsletter, and explore the archives. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or really the podcaster of your choice. Just search Interfaith Voices. And while you're there, help us out. Leave a rating and a review. It helps others find us. A special thanks to MC Yogi for our theme music, additional music by Blue Dot Sessions, and a special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler. This week's episode was produced by Kevin McCarthy and Kimberly Winston. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices. We're a nonprofit, and we rely on the generous support of our listeners to bring you this show. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. Remember to stay safe, stay well, and stay connected. I'll see you next week.